it's a little sampling of our Christmas program. Some of you guys have been here for it. Many of you have. Some of you haven't. And the last few years, we have been expressing many people's spiritual gifts that God has given them, bringing their gifts to Jesus to celebrate and worship him as um, our Lord. So believe it or not, it's that time of year to sign up. We're doing it a little differently this year just to make it easier and give you guys a little bit more freedom to decide what you want to do. You're going to get an opportunity to sign up for whatever song, hymn, scripture, poem, dance, art, whatever it is. The theme is Jesus. <laughs> so this year's theme is Jesus, but I would like to read just a couple of verses out of the NLT version to show you why we're passionate about people using their spiritual gifts. And I love the way this version communicates it. This is Ephesians 4, 7. He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And then Ephesians 3, verse 10 says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So I just love being part of the church of God and seeing everybody using their different spiritual gifts. And it's just like a beautiful display of God's wisdom. And the Christmas program is an opportunity that we use here to give each one an opportunity to do that. So we will have the sign up out there for only two weeks. You get your opportunity to sign up for whatever you want to do. Then after that, a few of us are going to get together, put it all together. And then if you have not signed up for something, I will be after you. So Bob is going to pray a blessing over us. We already know some of the talents and gifts you guys have, so if you don't sign up, <laughs> let's just ask God's blessing on that. Uh, Lord, thank you that you have come into this world as a man to bear our sins and reproaches, that you've been raised from the dead after accomplishing our redemption and seated at the right hand of God, and that you've given gifts to men. We just pray that you would stir in the heart of each believer here um, over the next couple weeks and a couple months to consider how some of the talents and gifts that they've been given could be used to bring glory to your name through this Christmas program. And just thank you for the, the many willing participants we've had over the years and for those who are coordinating it and organizing it. We just ask your richest blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. just a couple of announcements to make. Uh, first of all, I'd be asking you to be praying for the Lowell Pearson family. Uh, Lowell passed away last night in uh, the care center, and I just uh, pray for Sherry and Evan and for his brother and their family. The, we don't have any details on the service. Uh, we're planning, I think, the service will be here sometime in the next week, probably, so be praying for them. Also, the Haiti fundraiser. Uh, thank you and praise you for coming out in good force last night. Uh, 3000 is that right? About $3,000 was raised, so yeah, praise God for that. That's very good. And uh, there's still an option to contribute to that, right? So right after the service, you can make your way out and you can kind of, it's kind of a buffet, help yourself service, and then make a contribution. So there's some more food left, so you can, you don't have to go out to eat. You can just take it home with you, all right? That'd be good. And the last thing that I want to encourage you to remember is on Tuesday, 
Tuesday night, we're having a party here for our little daughter from uh, south of the border, uh, Victoria. Uh, so she's uh, now U.S. citizen, and she's going to go through the, uh, the ceremony. Yeah, yeah. So she's, she's going through the swearing-in ceremony, and uh, we, a few years ago, I remember we first had gotten here, Alfonso uh, became a U.S. citizen, right, Alfonso? So we praise God for that, and, and now Victoria, and so uh, Tuesday we're having a little thing, so I uh, hope you can join us for that. The details are in the bulletin. Father, as my brother comes to share uh, the closing chapter of the book of 1 Samuel, I pray for your anointing on him and for your spirit to work in us and through us that we might be transformed in our spirits, in our minds, and our actions as our minds are informed. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Steve. You know, it comes to mind before I start that there are no surprises to God, right? And we've been working through the book of 1 Samuel and uh, we stayed on that schedule, and this was the passage uh, that was on our calendar, and uh, we'll preach it and trust that uh, God has a message for us today from 1 Samuel 31. So <clears throat> I'm going to start with a story. On September 20th, 1991, there was a commercial fishing vessel that left uh, set sail from Massachusetts. The name of the vessel was the Andrea Gale. And unknown to the six crew members at the time, this would be their final voyage. Uh, after about a month at sea, there was a rare convergence of three separate storm systems came together in the North Atlantic, uh, later was called the perfect storm. Um, this, this weather system brought overwhelming waves. Um, reports of waves over 60 feet high or more. Now, the captain of this ship, this doomed ship, um, his final recorded words were, she's coming on, boys, and she's coming on strong. And today, as we finish the book of 1 Samuel, we are witness to another kind of storm, another kind of storm that is also coming on strong, more ferocious, but just as inescapable as any weather system ever unleashed on the Atlantic. So let's read together from 1 Samuel 31. 1 Samuel 31, and we start in verse 1. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him. And he was badly wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Verse 6, Thus Saul died, 
and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh, and they burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, no truly bad storm arrives without a warning, okay? There's a darkness that comes on the horizon. There's the sound of thunder. You know that it's coming. And before the storm of God's judgment fell in chapter 31, the thunder had started years and years before. If you have your Bible, turn back to 1 Samuel 12. The scene is... Samuel officially transferring his power, officially recognizing uh, Saul as the leader of Israel. Now, Saul had been anointed. That happens a few er chapters before. Um, We know, you know, that there was still maybe a transition period of, of training or of some sort where Saul was the king of Israel, but maybe not fully, uh, fully running uh, things. And so, Samuel is kind of passing off the baton. Um, I want you to look at verse 13. This is, this is what Samuel says as, as he does this. Verse 13 for Samuel 12. Samuel says, And now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if you, if both you and your king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. God sent thunder and rain as a sign and a warning. 
a sign to say Israel had been disobedient, and a warning to say what would happen if they continued down that path. But it ends with a note of grace, a note of hope. In verse 24, it says, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. And then a warning. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Now briefly, again, why was it wrong for Israel to ask for a king? After all, if you look at Numbers 24, 17, it says, A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel. Moses in Deuteronomy 17 records the rules and the regulations for a king. And the book of Judges, it ends in this, in this dark place of chaos and with the words, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So the problem was not that Israel wanted a king. The problem was Israel wanted their king now instead of God's king later. If they had read the scriptures carefully, they would have been waiting for the king predicted in Genesis 49.10, where it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. And as we already know, going through this book, God's choice for the king was already alive. God's best choice of the man to lead his people as king was already alive. But he was still a shepherd boy. He was still tending sheep. You know, I think if only they could have been patient and waited for God's plan on God's timeline. But Saul becomes the king. The tall Benjamite, the world in front of him, and it unravels quickly in chapter 13. Chapter 13, we see the Philistines gather their forces for war. And Saul's there. He's waiting. He's chomping at the bit. He's ready to go. He's like, hey, we've, we've got to do this sacrifice. We've got to get it done. We've got to get out there to the battle. He's waiting for Samuel to show up, and Samuel's not showing up. And so what does Saul do? He says, all right, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to, I'm going to do the sacrifice myself. I can't wait. I can't wait any longer. And so he takes matters into his own hands. And we see really the impatience of the people borne out in their leader. And then another warning rumble comes from Samuel, Samuel in chapter 13, verse 13. Samuel does show up, in fact, just as they're finishing with these offerings. Samuel says, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And from that moment, we see the rise of David and the decline of Saul. And if you want to see the contrast between these two men, between the people's choice and God's choice, it's clear when Goliath shows up, all right? You remember the scene. Here's the armies of Israel, their new king. They've got their weapons of war. They're all assembled. They're all standing there, and yet they're shaking in their boots because Goliath is out there saying, send me a man to fight. Saul and his army are afraid in spite of their training, in spite of their equipment. 
And yet David is willing to face Goliath with a sling. Saul comes to David and is like, hey, okay, take my sword, take my armor. Saul's mindset is tactical. David's mindset is built on faith. In 1747, these unforgettable words of David, the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you, talking to Goliath, he will give you into our hand. Uh, Sometimes God gives us what we ask for, and it's not a good thing for us. The contrast between human might and God's power is one of the biggest themes you see running through this whole book of 1 Samuel. And when we look at Saul, we really get a picture of what it's like to rely on our own strength. And what happens when we rush forward without consulting with God or trusting in him to deliver us. And I want you to just take a moment and reflect on the week that's behind you. Um, Did you have any worries, any problems, any stress? Uh, What did you do? Okay, I know to my own discredit, too many times I go like this. You know? Um, And what's that? That's, that's, That's me trying to solve my own problems in my own strength, all right? That's a little bit of Saul coming out of me. Uh, maybe instead I should have been, you know, bowing and saying, God, you've got this. When I think of Saul, uh, I think of Galatians 5, 19, where it says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I'm not saying Saul, all those things characterize Saul, but the mindset. It says, I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And later in uh, Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. When we look at Saul, sadly we see over and over again a man sowing to the flesh, a man not sowing to the Spirit. In chapter 31, we see him reaping the the wages of that. Um, There's an incredible prayer at the beginning of 1 Samuel, if you can remember clear back when we started the book, Hannah gives this amazing prayer in chapter 2. And I just want to call your attention to verse 9, where Hannah says, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall, not, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. Our own strength will not save us. And as we reach chapter 28, the last time we saw Saul, he's visiting a witch in the middle of the night. Again, running his own plan, running his own idea. 
hey, what, I know what I can do. I can, I can, I can get a hold of Samuel through this, through this medium, and, and then I'll know what to do. But he's approaching God on his own terms. And so Samuel's words in chapter 28 signal that the destruction of Saul is inescapable. 28.19 says, Tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. And the last verse of chapter 28 shows Saul departing and going out into the night, this picture of darkness. And I can't help but think that the storm is here and there's no escape. And so chapter 31, I have just a few reflections and and thoughts as we think about the events that we read about. The first is, Israel has come full circle. You see that in verse 1. It says, the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Now, these words, fell, fled, and fell, if you go back, are repeated almost verbatim, and I believe it's chapter 4, but it's, it's the battle where they take the ark out and are just utterly routed. And, and those same words, they fled and they fell. And just this idea that they asked for a king. They did all these things. And just the utter futility of plans hatched of our own ambitions, of our own pride, of our own ideas, Israel has come full circle. Again, just like before they had a king, the, the Philistines have the upper hand. And the Israelites are back where they started on the run. And there's the futility of our own life when we see, when we, when we try to pursue our plans, our ambitions, in our wisdom, we're going to end up back where we started. Then look at verse 3. 3 to 5, and, and think about the fact that Saul dies the same way that he lived. So it says, The battle pressed hard against Saul. The archers found him. He was badly wounded. And Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword, thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. We again see Saul taking matters into his own hands. He trusted in his own sword, and he died by his own sword. And we don't see him cry out to God here. You know, his concern is for his own interest, that he not be mistreated. So he he takes his own life rather than be mistreated. And he may have been thinking about, you know, the stories of Samson, captured by the Philistines, eyes gouged out, grinding mill in a Philistine prison. Saul didn't want any part of that, and we don't know. He may have died anyway, but again, there's no, you're, you're, you're waiting for Saul to cry out to God. You're waiting for him to say, I can't do this. I've reached the end. As far as we know, that doesn't happen. The radio personality, Paul Harvey, used to end each segment with this trademark trademark statement. Now you know the rest of the story, right? Well, if we look at 1 Chronicles 10.13, it's the parallel passage, and it gives us 
the rest of this story. It says this in 1 Chronicles 10, 13. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord and that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. You know, you read the story in 1 Samuel 31, and it says the Philistine archers shot the arrows into the sky, shot the arrows that killed Saul and his sons. But 1 Chronicles 10.13 said that it was the hand of God. The Philistines shot the arrows, but it was the hand of God that guided those arrows into the body of Saul. The next reflection is that sin affects those connected to us. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men, on the same day together. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley... And those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead. They abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. Um, Saul had, had a promising start, but his downfall was disaster for everyone around him. There was a family consequence. His three sons that were with him that day all died including Jonathan, who we know was a righteous man. There was a national consequence. As the nation of Israel hears this news, it's like, it's like this news rippling out. And all of a sudden, all these people that were in, the, in this region abandoned their towns. Can you imagine uh, being a young Israelite child? Your parents wake you in the middle of the night. We've got to flee. The Philistines are coming. You grab all your belongings, all your possessions, and you run out of that town. And the Philistines come and live there. Sin affects those who are connected to us. As Steve reminded us this morning that uh, there are a lot of events swirling around right now reminding us how far-reaching the effects of sin can be. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. But the story of Saul is a warning. Flee from sin and cling to God. Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Next reflection in verse 8 is that sin brings dishonor to God's name. Read verses 8 to 10. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. And they put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth 
and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Just as David had once cut off the head of Goliath as a trophy, now the Philistines cut off Saul's head as a trophy. Imagine these messengers as they carry the good news of the Philistines' victory. And interesting there, the word there, when you read it in the, in the Greek translation, is the same word uh, that we get gospel from. It is literally evangelion, this good message. To the Philistines, that was a good message. Our, the king of our enemy is dead. Sound it out. Spread the news. The destruction that came that day brought dishonor to God's name. Saul's head and his sons, probably his sons' heads, were serving as a trophy of the defeat of Israel. And to many that, that saw the heads hanging on the wall of the city or the bodies uh, or the armor placed in the, in the idol, the temple of the idol, um, were signs to them of God's defeat. But the final point, look at verses 11 to 13. I want us to think about that in the middle of tragedy, God is still working. You know, look 11. When the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. You know, these men of Jabesh Gilead, if, if you remember in chapter 11, uh, one of the few bright spots in Saul's life was when he came to the rescue of this town. The the enemy said, we'll give you seven days uh, or we're going to take your city and we're going to gouge out your right eye and you're going to serve us forever. And they put out the, the, the plea for help and Saul comes and rallies and comes to their rescue. Now these men uh, that come to, you know, remove the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall um, really are the opposite of Saul. Um, they're not motivated by self-preservation. Um, they really showed a lot of bravery uh, and self-sacrifice and risked their life to come to remove the bodies uh, of, of their king, of their fallen king, but also to remove the shame that those bodies represented, the shame and reproach that had fallen on the nation of Israel. And, you know, it's not in this chapter, but it's all happening behind the scenes. We know that God's man, David, is waiting, waiting to come take the throne. God would not abandon Israel. You know, we think about how terrible it was that Israel wanted the kind of king they wanted. They wanted a king of the sword and the spear. And God gave them a king of the sword and the spear. God gave them a man who who really was not seeking after his own heart so that they could understand and see here's where it ends up. It ends up right back where you started. It ends up in futility and defeat and shame. But God had his man. God was preparing David behind the scenes. And hopefully at some point we get to continue this into 2 Samuel 
Uh, but, you know, when, when things look the most bleak, when things look the most dark, we can be confident in our lives that God is working. God is working all things to the purposes that he has for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Uh, in, in just a minute, we're going to take the bread and the cup as a way to remember what Jesus has done for us. But I want to focus our minds on a few parallels or, uh, or I guess, uh, antitheses or opposites as you think about Saul and the one that we come to remember today, Jesus. You know, the first king of Israel died uh, on a mountaintop. His, his, his faithful men bleeding out around him, Okay. Jesus also, the last king of Israel, died on a mountaintop. But he didn't have any faithful people around him. They all fled. They all left him behind. The first king died for his breach of faith. He was pierced by God's arrow. The last king never sinned. He died for my breach of faith. You know, the, the sad thing is we all have a little bit of salt inside of us. And we deserve God's judgment. But Jesus stepped in to defend us. He took the arrows of the enemy that, that should have pierced us. And, you know, I think of righteous Jonathan dying for Saul. That's the way that Jesus died for me. When the first king died, his, his head was hung as a trophy. His body was mocked and, and ridiculed. Same thing when the last king died. They walked by. They said, look at that king. King of the Jews. Look at him laying, hanging on that cross. And Satan rejoiced in his shame. But the first king was burned and buried, and the last king is raised in victory. I just want you to, to hear these words of Isaiah 53. The band can come up while I read these. Isaiah 53 in verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God, we stand in the presence uh, of you. And we confess our sin. We confess that we are not worthy of the price that was paid for us. Lord, we, we bow our heads and, and we marvel that the perfect king would die for a sinful people as us. That the perfect king would take the arrows that we deserved. Father, as we take the bread and the juice today, May you remind us of the great grace that we have, that we can come. Father, no one here today needs to go home in their sin. We can lay it down before the cross. 
we can accept the free forgiveness that's ours in Jesus Christ. Father, give us a, a fresh concern for your kingdom, for your glory, for your name. Father, we pray that none here would bring reproach to the name of Christ, that you would help remind us that we have been bought with a price, a great price, and we are thankful for that today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.